Bibles, take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and you can also dog-ear James chapter 1, or you may see on the back of your sermon outline the scripture texts this morning. Before we read our scripture this morning, I have uh, one of my favorite television commercials to show you. And the reason I want you to see this is because today we're talking about communication. And communication in marriage is not always easy. Communication at work can be hard, talking to your children or your parents can be difficult, but in marriage, communication is especially a challenge. So. Watch what happens here and, and see, uh, see if there's true communication happening in this clip. Oops, we don't have any volume. We might have to start over because... Let's go. Can we start that over and uh, have volume for this? Paint the walls. Honey? What do you say we invite my parents to visit for the holidays? Yes! Great. Maybe we can fix up the house some. All right! Yeah, a new vanity in the guest bathroom, a new chandelier, new area rug, and maybe we can paint the walls a nice ochre. Oh, come on! Okay, it doesn't have to be ochre. This year, you can create a warmer, more inviting home for your holiday guests. Get started now at the Home Depot. Go to Home Depot. Go, 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 go! <laughs> you can talk and you can think you're being heard you can listen and totally miss what the other person is saying what do you think is going to happen when her parents show up for the holidays uh, at least they don't have to paint the room ochre what, what color is ochre anyway I'm not, I'm not exactly sure but the Bible is filled with encouragement and warning about how we speak to each other and how we listen to each other. If you would bring up my uh, PowerPoint, just a few passages to bring to mind this morning. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then for us Christians... If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Relationships are so important to us, and communication is so important in relationships. Do you know why communication is so important to you? It's because you 
are made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God, and God is a communicator. Did you know that about the character of God? I want you to know this about God. God talks. God talks to himself in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, filled with engagement of one another through all eternity before we were ever created. God was filled with loving conversation within himself. And then he made us in his image, and we are communicators. Much more than the ants and the bugs or even, even the birds and the, the goldfish, the human being is endowed with this unique and wonderful ability to speak and to communicate, to hear and to learn because we are made in the image of God. And it's so true, it's so great that when Jesus comes into the world that first Christmas morning, we are told, and the Word, he's called the Word, the great communication of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Communication, so important. And as we're talking about marriage dynamics in particular, we, we agree, we understand that marriage is great, marriage is good, and marriage is hard. Young people, you know the old Puritans used to say marriage should not be entered into lightly or unadvisedly? What they're saying is because while marriage is blessed and wonderful, it's also challenging and difficult. And that's why the Bible, in the Psalms, in the book of Proverbs, uh, in, as Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, in the epistles of Paul, the epistles of Peter, the epistles of James, they all talk about the tongue and how you speak to each other. And you can make your marriage harder by the way that you speak to each other as you drive each other apart, or you can make your marriage better and healthier by the way you encourage, build each other up, listen to each other, and speak words that bless. So, if you're not married today, you don't, you're, you're not off the hook because maybe one day you will be married. Or you know people who are married and they are in crisis and God is calling you to step into their world and to speak to them. Even this message that you hear today. So if you're married, pay attention. If you're not married, pay attention. If you're a teenager, pay attention. This is really important. Now, Point number two is this, and I just want to explore what the Bible calls rotten words. Then in point number three, I want to talk about, well, the alternative, about the communication that nourishes and heals and benefits other people. And then, of course, in the final point, I want us to think together about how to change how that change comes about from the rotten fruit to the healthy fruit. I wonder how many of us listen to ourselves as we speak. Do you ever really listen to yourself? 
There was a man who used to be in our church, and I think he might have given this testimony to the whole, to the whole church, but I can't remember if he just told me or told the whole church. But he said how he was driving in the car with the family, and he needed to leave a message for his wife, so he called on his cell phone, got the answering machine at home, and left the message for his wife and put his phone in his pocket. And he forgot to hang up the phone. And his kids were in the back seat, and they were messing around, and he wanted to set them straight. And so he spoke to his children, and he talked to his children, and the whole thing was recorded on the answering machine at home. And when he got home, and he listened to the answering machine, he said, I couldn't believe what I heard. I couldn't believe the tone of voice that I used. I couldn't believe how fierce I was with my own children, the progeny of my loins. I, I, how, could I, how could I speak to them like this? And he said, just my own sinful anger, my own, my own unmitigated fury was, it was humiliating to listen to it again. Do you ever listen to yourself? We don't like to listen to ourselves. And I think that's why there are so many admonitions in Scripture about unwholesome speech. And the word unwholesome, the Greek word saphros, it really means rotten. And the word is used to describe rotten fruit. Um, You know, here's this picture of peaches that are moldy. They are becoming rotten. And how would you like to take a bite out of one of these peaches? You would not enjoy it. It would be unpleasant to, to chew this rotten peach, to chew it up. But you see, the tongue is dangerous. The tongue is also a fire, James says. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life, which would include your marriage on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It's a really interesting last phrase there, you know? If you want to know what demon possession looks like, you don't need Hollywood. (laughs) You don't need to go watch The Exorcist and some heads spin around the way Hollywood shows it. That's silly nonsense. You want to know what's demonic? What's demonic is unwholesome speech, gossip, slander, unmitigated rage and fury spewing venom at another person. It says that's set on fire by hell. It comes from the devil. That's what's demonic. James is very clear, tearing people down. It's rotten fruit. Now, Paul says in verse 25 that the first kind of unhealthy speech is falsehood. Falsehood. And that's why we read from the catechism and we thought about that ninth commandment, uh, do not bear false witnesses. But, but in the New Testament, it's far more than just avoiding perjury. Yeah, the Old Testament law said avoid perjury. But Paul says, speak the truth in love, put off falsehood. And in marriages, in marriages, there's often a lot of lying and deceit. I meet young, young people, and they're married, and, and there's tension in their marriage. And, and sometimes what they discover is in their communication, one party or the other has learned 
to simply say what they think the other person wants to hear rather than just honestly saying what happened. You know? Where were you? How come you're home from work late? Well, maybe he did go by the pub. Maybe he stopped off to visit his mother, and he knows that she doesn't like his mother or she doesn't want him going to the pub, and so he says to himself, I don't want to get in trouble right now, and he tells her, well, I just... uh, I stopped at the library to check out a book. Some people are liars, and deceit is hurtful in a marriage. But I think most of us in this room are not quite so bald in our deceit. But deceit happens in strange ways, in unexpected ways sometimes. Uh, For example, my tendency is to exaggerate. I've confessed that before. There's something inside of me. You know, I I had this long trip that I drove, and, and, um, you know, when I got back, I said, I was in the car for nine hours. But actually, I was three and a half hours down, three and a half hours back. That's seven hours. Why would I say nine hours? I don't know. It's just just sort of preacher's license in 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 an unforgivable way. But what? You know, exaggeration. It's, Paul says, put off falsehood. I don't know how you exaggerate. Other people speak in code. You know, this is common in marriage. Um, um, I'm a little dangerous here, but when the woman says, I have nothing to wear, what does she mean? When the man says, I have nothing to wear. What does he mean? The woman says, I have nothing to wear. She means, I don't have anything new. It's time to go shopping. When the man says, I don't have anything to wear, he's saying, I don't have anything clean to put on. (laughs) But that's code, and that's not wrong. That's not a lie, but... But when you speak in code like that, you need to understand so often we speak out of our own perception. We speak out of our own sense of need. And if we're not careful, we really don't communicate very well at all. And some people in our marriages in particular, we give double messages that aren't so helpful. Um, I... um, I suppose this, this is hypothetical, but can you hear Nina saying to me, John, did you notice that Bill Melcher took Sherry out to dinner? Again? And what's she saying to me? You cheapskate! <laughs> you know? And it, it, it's, it's a double message. Or, or here's a real one where... I'm standing in the hallway, and Nina's in the kitchen, and she says, Are you watching that show on television? And I say, No. Is it interesting? Silence. Are you watching that show on television? No. Did you know that when I came home from work the other day, she says, The television was left on all day. Now, I'm a little frustrated because she was being indirect. She's frustrated because, well, 
because I'm wasting electricity and using up the television carelessly, and and we're we have to we have to work it out just a little bit. But the following Wednesday, as Nina left early in the morning, she said to me, "Don't forget to turn off the television when you leave." And I said, "Okay, I won't." And I didn't mind, and I did. She spoke. She spoke clearly. I responded. This was good. Okay? She didn't have to say, you're so wasteful, you're so irresponsible. But you see, we can tear people down at this point. She would have been very tempted to say, I've had enough, and to really insult me for being wasteful and thoughtless and careless. And, but instead, she just spoke the truth in love, and we, we worked that out. You see, you put off falsehood, and those are just a few of a gazillion examples. And then Paul goes on and he says, do not use, in verse 29, unwholesome speech. And this is the kind of speech that tears other people down. And I don't know in the secrecy of your own home or in the privacy of your own life just how many of you use destructive, rotten speech, angry, cruel hurtful words. What's happening in this image here? But the woman is coming after the man, and she's after him, and she's, she's very righteous. She's got his sins. She's got them numbered, and she's letting him know, and he's got his head in his hands. Or you have, well, the man, he's the head of the home. He's exercising his authority, and he's sure pointing his finger to let them know who's in charge here, and he's crushing the spirit of his wife, or more often, <laughs> both of them give as good as they get, and it's back and forth. One of my favorite writers is a woman named Andre Sue, and in her column this week, she's talking about how she interacts with her husband, and she says this She's one of the godliest, holiest people I know. And she says, I give myself permission to say things to my husband which, if he said to me, would bring me great offense. Isn't that interesting? What an observation. What is she doing? See, she's listening to herself. Even when it's unhappy, she's listening to herself. And she's saying, you know what? I say things to my husband that if he said them to me, I would be offended. And I think that's very healthy. Paul says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. I don't know if you're a bully. I don't know if you're a nag. I don't know if you're just a grumbler and a complainer. But the Bible forbids all of these and says, don't speak like this. A big part of learning to listen to yourself is saying, what's going on? I hear the grumbling, I hear the complaining, I hear the accusing, I hear the insults. What's going on at a deeper level in my own heart? You haven't really listened until you've now asked this. And the book of James tells us that you, you get angry and you have quarrels. Why? Because you don't get what you want. In his great book, The War of Words, Paul Tripp says you've got to listen deep to your own heart. And understand that you speak the way you speak in ways that are unhealthy and unholy because you don't get your own way. 
or because your husband or your wife is threatening the idols of your heart. And when somebody threatens the idols of your heart, the things that you have to have, you lash out. You do whatever you think is necessary to win the day. And you have to ask, what what is it that causes me to speak like this? Proverbs 12, verse 18 Reckless words pierce like a sword. Okay? You need to know this. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. And that leads us to the next point. You see, here in Ephesians 4, uh, we have the... This is one of the classic great put-off and put-on passages. And we've seen the rotten fruit, how it how it hurts our relationships in general and marriage in particular. But the text also, God's Word is so wonderful, it presents something so much better. And he's saying that your speech should not be rotten fruit. It should be good fruit, tasty, sweet, delicious, encouraging, nourishing, healing, upbuilding. The text is actually very positive. As it warns against rotten fruit in your speech, he says, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He goes on, you put that on, and now he says exactly what it looks like. (laughs) Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And in a moment, we're going to explore just, in fact, how that change comes about. But these are, these are the fruits that you're supposed to have as you put on Christ. And His kindness, His compassion, His nurturing, His healing flows through your mouth to other people. These are the put-ons in place of what you put off. And it's really laid out uh, very specifically that you are to speak. Now look at these three things. Speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And if these are the dynamics in the homes of the North Shore Community Church, won't that be fantastic? Won't that be wonderful? Parents, if you teach your children how to speak what builds others up, that meets the other person's needs, that actually benefits those who listen. And that, the, the sense there is just giving grace to the other people. I tell you, it will be a joy to live with you. Husbands, when's the last time you said to your wife, I'm so glad you're the mother of our children. When did you say to your wife, I really appreciate all you did for us today. Thank you. When did you say, I think you're beautiful? I once, in my old church, talked to someone about this, and he he said, well, the Bible says it forbids flattery. What would you say to him? Oh, the Bible forbids flattery. 
I said, yes, but the Bible commands you to say words that bless and build others up. (laughs) Please, don't you think your wife would love to hear these words? I said, I think there's something going on in your heart that keeps you from being willing to bless. What is it in your life that's keeping you from blessing your wife? And he said, well, she doesn't respect me. And she, I think she insults me. Well, it says in 1 Peter, you see, you're not off the hook here. Because in 1 Peter 3, verse 9, he tells you what to do, even if your wife doesn't respect you. And if she does insult you, he says right out, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with what? Blessing. So go ahead and bless your wife. I give you the command of God. Bless your wife, sir, because to this you were called. And I said, I wonder if she might respect you a little bit more if you blessed her, encouraged her, built her up. And then, as Martin said last week so powerfully, the whole point of marriage is especially to encourage each other to grow in Christ, to grow in your relationship with Christ. And that's what your husband needs from you wives, and that's what wives uh, need from their husbands. Encouragement to grow in Christ, to speak those words that point us so that we love the Lord Jesus even more. Of course, he goes on. He says that it should be helpful and meets the needs and needs, needs of the moment. And some of you are saying, Ah, at last! Now we get to talk about the problem. Because yes, we have a problem in our marriage, and and I have I'm a fix-it type of person, and I'm and so I want to engineer the solution for this according to their needs. Uh, and what is the problem? And it's right here that we say yes. In your communication, it's not all syrup and sweet love. No, you have to deal with the needs in the moment. You have to deal with the problems. But here's the rule that we are taught here. The rule is. Attack the problem, not the person. Isn't that a good rule? Attack the problem, not the person. Okay, we've got a problem. We need to attack it, but we don't do it. We don't address it. You see, if Nina would say, we have a problem, and the problem is you are irresponsible, you are wasteful, You are leaving the television on and it runs all day when no one's home and it's going to wear out and it was expensive. Why do you do this? If she had done it that way, that would not have been attacking the problem. What would that have been attacking? The person. She hasn't done that. But if she had, that would be unhelpful. Instead, what she said is, please turn off the television when you leave. Okay. Now, suppose there's so much tension. You know, there are bigger issues in your lives. I know that. But suppose there's so much tension and there's problems. What can you do? What, what, what does a passage like this tell you to do? Well, I think one very important application is that you have a conference table in your home. And this is in the back pocket of every good Christian counselor, every elder, every pastor uh, should be able to sit with a couple and say, you know what you guys need? What you guys need is a conference table. It's not called an arguing table. It's a conference table because what do you do at a conference? You confer. 
You're going to attack the problem, not the person. And in, and in really volatile marriages and volatile relationships, what you do at a conference table is you actually set up procedures and rules, and you, you train people. The counselor role plays with the couple in their office, and you say, let's, let's put the, the problem down on paper, let's articulate some of the solutions, and if it gets hot, one person can put up their hand, and if they put up their hand, they're immediately signifying we've stopped conferring, we've started arguing, and the other person has agreed, prearranged, ahead of time, they will shut up. And everybody composes themselves. You don't walk away, but you compose yourself. You might even pray, and then you continue to talk. And, and you know, you read Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. You read it out loud to each other, but you have this communication device in order to attack the problem, but not the person. Now, the big question, point four. How do you transform hostility and frustration and turmoil into encouragement and problem-solving and blessing? How does that happen in your heart? How do enemies solve problems together? And I guess you know, if you've, if you've watched the past 50 years, the, 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 the attempts at reconciliation in the Middle East, you know that secular attempts at reconciliation usually don't uh, help too much. Why is that? Secular attempts at reconciliation are unsuccessful because turning hostility into blessing is a supernatural thing, isn't it? It's supernatural. It takes the grace of God working in people's lives. And so, you who are tempted to speak a rotten word, you need to know something about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had the rotten word spoken to him. Right? Jesus Christ came into this world. He received the hostility, the insults, the spit of men. And even worse, he received the rotten word of the curse of God. Jesus Christ was cursed. Our Savior came for you, and he took the curse you deserve in your place. And he, he died a terrible death. He was made sin. He was, it says he was essentially made rotten fruit, and he was spit out. He was cast out. He was cut off. He descended into hell. He suffered the curse for you, and then he rose again from the dead, and we are told in Hebrews, he speaks a better word, he speaks a good word, he speaks peace, peace to you. And he says, I come and I take up my residence in your life. If you're a Christian, that's what's happened. Jesus Christ, who was cursed, who received the curse, the bad word for you, is now living in your heart. And he rose from the dead, and he speaks peace to you. So you are called, you are justified, you are glorified, you are secure in his love, and now he's going to address the issues of your heart. He says, I'm here, and my heart is now Christ's home. My heart, Christ's home. Some of you are saying, yeah, but... He actually frees me up to speak words of kindness to my wife when she insulted me. But what is true freedom? What is freedom? I've been thinking about this a lot this week because it requires freedom to be able to bless in the face of an insult. 
You might say, that's a constriction, that's bondage for me. No, it isn't. When, when is a train most free? The train is most free when it's on the tracks, running in the way it was designed to run. Brothers and sisters, when the train jumps off the track, it's free to be a train wreck. When a kite is flying in the sky, and it's controlled, yes, by the string that's on it, but if you cut the string, what happens to the kite? It swirls around and crashes to the ground. The kite is free to fly when it's attached to the string. Do not think for a moment that the way of Jesus Christ is bondage. It's true freedom. Yes, you resist it. 20th century, 21st century, 21st century Americans resist this because we are told, assert your own rights, stand up for yourself. But Jesus Christ says, he who would save his life must lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And you can lose your life in order to love, serve, and bless another person because of the one who lost his life for you, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Do you understand? This is the gospel. This is what our church is all about, friends. This is what we are about. Changed hearts that allow us then to put off the old man and put on the new and speak that better word of blessing and love. Jesus Christ, look at this in Isaiah 53. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. And now I love this next line. nor was any deceit in his mouth. You know, the Bible says all men are liars except one, Jesus Christ. There was no deceit ever in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Does what I say build others up? If you are in Christ, may it be true of us. Does it help meet the need? Does what I say give grace and benefit others? So we sing this closing song now, this wonderful song. You're going to sing a powerful declaration. You're going to sing, My chains are gone. I've been set free. And I want you to believe that if you're in union with Jesus Christ, that old way of speech, those chains are broken. And in Jesus Christ, you are free to bless and edify and love. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how we desire that better word that you speak to us, the word, I forgive you, I love you. I am your God, and you are my people. And you speak a word of blessing to us. Now, we pray for our marriages, for a single person, for our relationships, for our children, that we could train them how to speak these words of blessing because we are united to Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So... This is grace. This is amazing grace. And we worship you. Come and sanctify us as a people, we pray. 
and use, make our homes homes of delight and love, encouragement and blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.